I hope you are all doing well this morning and surviving our wonderful inversion. I mean, if you're here, I, I imagine you're surviving, so that's good. So hello! There it is. For those of you that do not know me, my name is Jacob, and um, yeah, I have the great privilege of uh, continuing on our Advent series um, uh, this morning. Um, you know, I got to tell you, I'm a little, uh, not only was, was our, our singing together really, really precious this morning, so I'm feeling a little self-conscious about that. I'm also feeling a little self-conscious about my voice. So on the way here this morning, my wife sent a little message using her, you know, iDevice, and I noticed that she changed the voice. Normally it's like a female voice, and she changed the voice. And it said, your message has been sent. <laughs> and I said, oh, so that's how you want me to, you know, talk now. And she just looked at me with this very approving, like, look. So, sorry, I'm going to try to bear through it this morning with the voice that God gave me to my wife's great chagrin. So I was watching one of my favorite shows, and there was a clip that came on about Christmas, and, I'm thought, and I thought, well, hey, I'd like to share it with all of you. So just, you know, bear with me here. I'm going to play a quick clip. I think you'll like it. <laughs> See, I have a feeling you guys like pranks. I'm going to keep this in mind for future... Uh future talks. Well, without any further ado, Merry Christmas. Let's, uh, let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, we're so thankful for what you've done for us. We ask, Lord, that you would prick our ears and touch our hearts this morning. May none of us, Lord, leave here unchanged. You're a good God, and we are so grateful to call you Savior, King, Lord, Father. So we invite your presence here this morning, God. Say, so change us, move us, make us, mold us more and more into your image. We ask this in your name, the name of Jesus. Amen. All right. So this morning we're going to continue our series entitled Humble King, which is our Advent series that we're doing here, where we're touching on Hope, peace, joy, and love. And this morning, I have the great privilege of talking about peace, Jesus' gospel of peace. Now, many of you, many of you could probably, I imagine, use a little more peace in your life. Maybe. We don't have to look very far in our world to find unrest, right? We don't have to look all that far. It's not hard to find hatred and offense, discord and doubt. It's not hard to find despair and darkness and sadness. It may be evident in our own lives. It may be evident in the lives of our families. It may be evident in the lives of our coworkers. And on the macro level, we see it all over the world. We see it in wars, ethnic cleansings. And I think you all would agree that we could use more peace. 
I know I could use more peace in my life. I, uh, I, I, I work in an office, and there's one thing you may not know about me, so just in, just in a, a way of being very transparent, I like to win. I really like to win, which means that, you know, when I like to win, someone has to lose, right? And, you know, winning can often, you know, require, you know, me to sow some seeds of discord, some disunity to win. There was this uh, one situation where I got in this war of words with a marketing person. And if you're in marketing, I'm sorry, I really don't know what you do, but God bless you. <laughs> I really don't understand it. See, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a software developer, so I don't, I, don't, I don't know how any of that works. Um, and and there, there was this marketer that, that was trying to school me on like SEO and setting up websites. You know about SEO, it's search engine optimization which is where you try to get your company's name or your website at the top of a Google search for, you know, keywords that people enter. So, which is, you know, I mean, businesses, that's really important, right? You want to be at the top of the, the rankings. You want to be found. Anyway, she was really wrong. And I was getting diminishing returns on my email exchange with her. So I got smart. So, well, I'm going to pull some other smart people into this conversation. So I pulled in her boss. I pulled in my boss, who happened to be the CEO. And, you know, I sent, sent off my reply. It was really good. Like, it wasn't emotional. It was very, like, matter-of-fact, very software engineer-like, but I was going to win. Like, this is all going on, like, inside of me. I was going to win. And I got an email back from my boss, who's the CEO. And he said, Jacob is 100% right. Victory! <laughs> I won! Won the battle, win. Oh, I got back that endorphin. So good. You guys have experienced this, haven't you? You guys know. I mean, sometimes it's just like playing board games, but sometimes it's like bleeds out into other areas of our lives where we've got to win. And sometimes winning, you know, we got to like do some things that maybe are not so cool to do that, like I did. Well, to my great dismay, there were tears. This, this girl was very upset at me. And, uh, you know, I had a moment, you know, when I saw her, when I saw her in tears, it was like, you know what, this is, this is not Christ-like behavior. Because if I'm a follower of Christ, and his gospel is love and peace, I should see more of that in, like, interactions with other people, Right? I should see that. So that was a real wake-up call for me. It's like, you know what? There is a better way. And I still have real, I mean, to be honest with you guys, I still have really bad days where I feel like I got to win. But as I've continued to follow Christ, those days have become less and less and less. Some of you, you know, I think could probably identify with this. I certainly can. Because you also, like me, like to stir the pot. You get that little gleam in your eye. Like maybe it comes up on social media like, oh yeah, I'm going to school this person. It's going to be good. Lulls. You youth know what I'm talking about, right? Some of them are on social media right now. So, you know, they might be stirring a pot. Just, you know, watch out. 
my family will tell you that, you know, when I see an opportunity, I might get a little gleam in my eye to stir the pot and cause some disunity. When Jesus, the, the situation kind of surrounding Jesus' entry into the world was dire. There was a lot of unrest. There was a lot of war. And in fact, God's people, Israel, the Jews, they had been captured for almost 700 years, or in exile of some sort, for over 700 years. First by, they were conquered first by the Assyrians, then exiled by the Babylonians, then conquered again by the Persians, and then finally, the Romans. And if you don't know much about the Roman Empire, they were a force to be reckoned with. They were a force to be reckoned with. They conquered most of the known world. They were an empire that was built and sustained by war. That's what sustained it, was conquering. They were an occupying force. Peace could not be found. In fact, one of the Roman emperors, Caligula, said this. He said, let them hate us so long as they fear us. They were pretty bad guys. Like, this is how the Roman Empire spread and how they continued to gain influence and power was by conquering and occupying. And uh, Judea, now modern-day Palestine, was, was one of those areas that they had conquered and occupied. And the people particularly God's people, Israel, they were looking and longing for a savior. They were looking for deliverance. They were longing for the peace that was promised to them through Isaiah. And if you don't know about Isaiah, he was a prophet during the Babylonian exile. Um, back in about the, I think it's like 600 BC. You can check me on that. They cling to prophecies that, that, that he delivered Stuff like this, he said, speaking about the Savior, he said, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and uphold it with justice with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. All the world was looking, particularly Israel, was looking for a savior, for someone that would come and establish this kingdom that will have, that, that is said to have no beginning and no end. In fact, when the proclamation of Jesus' birth is given, I, I, I can't help but remark that peace, peace was proclaimed. It was a key component of this proclamation. If you recall, when the angels appeared before the shepherds on that night that Jesus was born, they said, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. 
and this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Ooh. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Peace among those with whom he is pleased. One of my very favorite, my very favorite Christmas hymns is O Holy Night, which was actually originally in French. It was composed by Adolf Adam. And there's a verse in it that every time I read it, maybe you're like me, I'm like cut to the quick. It goes like this. He says, truly he taught us to love one another. His law is love, and his gospel is peace. Chains shall he break, for the slave is our brother. And in his name, all oppression shall cease. This song, I believe, codifies the good news of Jesus. His love and gospel of peace is radical. And I believe this is why he was crucified. And society is built upon authoritarianism and oppression. Love is a serious threat. And if you, know, you call Jesus Lord and you're one of his followers, love and peace, I believe, ought to follow you wherever you go. Jesus, when he started his ministry, he said some really crazy things. Now we read them and we go, oh, that's nice, Jesus, da, 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 da. But no, to the people that heard these things that Jesus said, he was really crazy. They sounded nuts. He said things like, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. When do the poor like get anything? Particularly, when do they inherit a kingdom? Like, a kingdom with riches and gold and all that stuff. Now, we know that, you know, Jesus had a different mind when he established his kingdom. He said, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. This is one of my favorite. Blessed are the meek. You know what meek is? They're the quiet, gentle, easily imposed upon people of the earth. So this was shocking. This would have been shocking to the people listening to Jesus. He said, for they shall inherit the earth. When do the meek, when do the peaceful people inherit land? Normally land is inherited through conquest, right? I mean, in Jesus' day, that's what they're thinking. Like, hold it, Jesus, you're crazy. Inherit land? We've got to, like, conquer these Romans. We've got to get them out. He says, no, no, no. Blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. He goes on, he says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the poor in heart, for they shall see God. And finally, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called 
sons of God. This was shocking news. These people that Jesus calls out here, he, he says they, they have reason to be happy. They're blessed. They're near me. They're near my kingdom. He articulated this right before he like started laying down the ethics of his kingdom, the way his kingdom works. And he, he says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Now, I don't know about you, but I would like to be called a son of God. I want to be in his family. I want to I be his kid. Don't you? It says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Jesus went on in the same passage, and he talked about this specifically. This is in Matthew 5. And if you don't know about Matthew, he was an early follower of Jesus who wrote down these words for us, um, these words and works of Jesus for us and for our benefit. Um, yeah. We call him Matthew the Evangelist. Jesus said this. He said, you have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. I don't know about you guys, but it's really easy for me to hate. Like my default is like, oh yeah, like the people that bug me, that make me mad, that offend me, I can hate those guys. Like that just comes naturally to me. I don't know. Do you guys have that thing? Like that girl, that marketing girl? Oh yeah. Yeah, I can hate them. Like so easy. And in fact, in Jesus's day, common logic, the ethic was you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. This was totally acceptable behavior. But Jesus says, no, no, no. I say to you, Love your enemies. Love your enemies. Doesn't say like your enemies. Doesn't say, you know, pray for them sometimes. That you might not hate them. No, 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 no. He says love. And love, you know, I mean, it's got wheels. Like, it, it does things. It's not just a feeling. It does things. He says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes, the, for he makes his son rise on evil and the good, and sends rain on the just and the unjust. So everybody gets it. Everybody gets, you know, rain. He's not partial in this way. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? That's easy. And you hate the people that hate you? That's easy too. He says, do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you don't know the tax collectors, they were like the fraudsters. Like They were taking it. They were on the take. They were like the scum of the earth in Jesus' day. He says, even the tax collectors do this. How are you better than them? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than other people? Everybody does that. Even the Gentiles do that. Even though uncircumcised Philistines do that. They do it. So how are you any different? I believe that you and I, if you call Jesus Lord, we are to seek peace in all situations. We're called to be meek, I think. And you hear those words that I just said, and you go, Jacob, now Jacob, I want to win. I, want, I do not want to be a doormat. I don't really like loving the people I hate. So I think that, I mean, I'll just be honest. Like, you know, I kind of want to win. I don't want to be a doormat. Adam, um, Adam Grant, in his book, Give and Take, studies this, this problem. And he talks about Three 
common reciprocity styles in our world today. And you don't have to look, you know, look far to see them at work. The first one is what he calls takers. This is in his book, Give and Take, by the way. And if you don't know Adam Grant, that's okay. He is a Georgetown, no, I'm sorry, that, that's wrong. He's a Wharton professor, so Wharton, University of Pennsylvania. He's a very highly rated um, business professor. So the first sort of reciprocity style that he posits is what he calls takers. They have this very distinct sig signature, and some of you may know these people. I hope none of you are like these people, but you might be, and that's okay. We'll, we'll talk about that. We'll pray for you. Um, <laughs> they, these takers, they like to get more than they give, right? They tilt reciprocity in their own favor, putting their interests over the interests of others. Takers believe that the world is competitive. It's a dog-eat-dog, -dog, you know, world. It's a dog-eat-dog -dog place. They feel that to succeed, they need to be better than everybody else. They prove their competence by self-promoting and making sure they get plenty of credit for their efforts, for the things they do. Some of you may know these people. There's, so there's those. Those, those guys are kind of on the extreme, right? Those are like the extreme takers. Garden variety takers, however, aren't cruel or cutthroat. They're not like Gordon Gecko. They're just cautious and self-protective. They think things like, if I don't look out for myself first, no one will. Me, 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 me. That sort of thing. The second reciprocity style that Adam talks about is what he calls givers. You guys won't be surprised to learn this. They're a relatively rare breed. They might be hard to spot. They tilt the reciprocity, they tilt reciprocity in the other direction. So they're at the other end of the extreme, preferring to give more than they get. Takers tend to be self-focused, evaluating what other people can afford and do for them. Givers are other-focused, paying more attention to what other people need from them. As my dad likes to say, they are otherly. I don't know if that's a word, so check that out. Probably isn't. We should make a t-shirt. <laughs> now, to be clear, these preferences are not about money. In fact, givers and takers give about the same to charity. It's also not about compensation that they demand or command from their employers. They make about the same. Rather, givers and takers differ in their attitudes and actions towards other people. That is what distinctly sets them apart. If you're a taker, you help others strategically you want to win when the benefits to you outweigh the personal costs, right? Now, if you're a giver at work, you simply strive to be generous in sharing your time, your energy, your resources, your knowledge, your skills, your ideas, and connections with other people. You're generous. You say, hey, I think I can help you out with this. I don't really care what you give me, just as long as those things benefit them and move them forward. 
Now, if I were to ask you this very important question, oh, I'm sorry, I got there's a third type, third type, just real quick, and most of us are like this. Few people act, you know, professionally at least, as givers and takers. There's a third reciprocity style, and Adam calls those matchers. They kind of have this equal balance of giving and getting. Like, oh, tit for tat. One, you do this for me, I do that for you, right? I do that. You guys do that? Like, hey, I'll do that for you if you do this for me. I'll go get your coffee if you get me coffee tomorrow. Right? Yeah, okay. So you guys get it. And most people actually, for what it's worth, kind of fall into that category of matchers. This tit for tat, this kind of scales of balance. I'll do this, you do that. So I have this very important question to ask you. Who do you think is most likely to end up at the very bottom of the success ladder? Who is at the very bottom? Someone said takers. I don't know why they'd think that. Takers, givers, or matchers. So they're just climbing down. All right. So they want to they win, right? Right, so you'd think that, you know, the givers would end at the bottom of the success ladder. I think that's logical. Unless you're Matt, and then it's not. That's okay. <laughs> hey, he, you guys who weren't there, he, there was a white elephant party this week, and there were pictures of me. So, you know, you guys missed it, but it was not nice. <laughs> there will be war. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, so you might predict that givers and at the very bottom of this success ladder. Um, they make other, others better off by sacrificing their own success in the process. In fact, there's three studies that Adam did. One, in, 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 one study of engineers, one a study of medical students, and one a study of salespeople. And he found in all three cases that givers were at the very bottom of the success ladder. Very bottom. They made up the very bottom, you know, sort of portion of it. So that's not, that's not so surprising. You see, see, Jacob, you're going to end last. If you listen to Jesus, you're going to, like, be very last at all the things. And maybe you guys are okay with that. I'm kind of okay with that, but some of you are not. That's okay, because who do you think, who do you think, friends, is at the top of the success ladder? Who do you think? The takers? You'll be surprised to learn that the people that are at the very top of the success ladder in Adam's research are, in fact, the givers. They're at the bottom, and that they're, they're at the very top. And the matchers and takers are somewhere in the middle. It is the givers again. When, they, when he looked at the engineers with the highest productivity, the evidence shows that they were givers too. The worst performers and best performers are givers. Takers and matchers are more likely, like I said, to land smack dab in the middle. With the medical students, 11% had higher grades, those that you know, were willing to give up their time to others. In sales, even in sales, which you, know, you think that's like a super cutthroat thing, the least productive salespeople had 25% higher giver scores than average performers, but so did the most productive salespeople. The top performers were givers, and they averaged 50% more annual revenue than the takers and matchers. The givers were at the bottom and at the top. And this is across professions. This isn't just one profession. This is engineering. This is medical. 
students and salespeople. And I think they're crazy. This is why I'm an engineer. It's okay. If you're a salesperson, I love you to death because you guys make sure we get a paycheck. It's awesome. <laughs> so good. You see, the givers are more likely to become champs and not <laughs> chumps. And here we've happened upon a kingdom principle, an ethic of Jesus and his kingdom. This is something that Jesus' followers have known for a millennia or more, probably two millennia. Because Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. And science, believe it or not, is finding out that he was right. In Philippians, Paul, and if you don't know about Paul, he was an early follower of Jesus who used to persecute the church before he was a follower of Jesus, had a radical encounter with Jesus and became a church planner, planted a whole bunch of churches over Asia Minor, and one of them was in Philippi. And he was writing while he was in prison to the church in Philippi, and he said this to them. He said, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. Have this mind among you, which is yours in Christ Jesus. We get this in Christ. We are called, folks, to be instruments of peace. People that seek peace in all situations people that proclaim Jesus' gospel of love. And I don't know about you guys, but I think the world needs more peace. The world needs more ambassadors of peace. Our neighborhoods, our families need more ambassadors of peace. Because if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus, you contain a little bit of heaven inside of you. Jesus brought heaven to earth and he placed it in folks like you and me, which is pretty amazing. Jesus said things like this about us. He said, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. And you're like, okay, salt, does that like, do we need to like make the world tasty, Jesus? Tasty? You guys like, some of you like putting salt on your steak. My wife likes putting steak. My wife likes putting salt on her steak. No, in antiquity, salt was a preserving agent. It preserved meat, cured it, it was a preserving agent. And you and I, we carry in us a bit of heaven. We are preserving agents. We are instruments of peace. And this is a key ethic of Jesus' kingdom and what he came to establish. In fact, it's funny, uh, you know, talking about Operation Christmas Child. In fact, if we could have the worship team come forward. Talking about Operation Christmas Child. Last year, our boxes went to Mexico. They went to Mexico, and we got a letter back from a child that received one of those boxes, which is pretty amazing. Like, he found us on the internet, and hey, SEO, um, he found us on the internet, and, um, and he, wrote it, he wrote in a letter. And what impressed me was not the fact that he thanked us for the box, like, that was pretty cool, 
But he said this. He said, I want to go to a nearby town and do this same thing. He caught a bet of the king and his kingdom because this is an ethic in Jesus' kingdom. We give, we get and we give and we give and we give and we give. And we may end up on top and we may end up on bottom. But at the end of the day, we look forward and we have hope that his kingdom has come and is coming and that everyone that calls him Lord will rise from the dead, rise from the dead, and there will be no more pain, there will be no more tears, and Jesus will reign. He's reigning, and he will reign. Yeah, amen. We're going we're gonna to take, uh, we're going to collect our connect cards, and uh, we're going to collect our offering. We're just so thankful for all of you being here today. We're going to continue kind of our ministry together. And I'd like to pray over you that each and every one of us will cling to Jesus' call for peace, being instruments of peace. And in doing so, we find ourselves called by him, his sons and daughters. So if you just all just stand with me, There's a, um, there's a prayer uh, that's often attributed to St. Saint, Saint Francis of Assisi. It's probably, it's unlikely he wrote it. It was probably one of his contemporaries. Um, and in the early 1900s, uh, a Frenchman put this prayer together. And it was proliferated throughout World War I and World War II. And I think it codifies really well what you and I are called to as instruments of peace, as ambassadors for the king. So I'm just going to pray this over us right now as we, as we go into time of singing and, and ministry. In fact, I'm going to invite our, our, our ministry team forward. As we sing this last song, after I pray and we sing this last song, if you just need to confess, hey, I need more peace in my life, maybe Unpeace, that's not a word, unrest has been like, you know, it's just your, your life is mired in that. We want to pray for that. On the other hand, maybe you haven't been an instrument of peace. Maybe you're the one causing some unrest and disunity. We want to pray for that too. If you, you know, allow us to. We'd love to do that. So let's pray. Lord, make us an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let us bring love. Where there is offense, let us bring pardon. Where there is discord, let us bring union. Where there is error, let us bring truth. Where there is doubt, let us bring faith. Where there is despair, let us bring hope. Where there is darkness, let us bring your light, O oh Lord. Where there is sadness, let us bring joy. O oh Master, O oh Lord Jesus, 
let us not seek as much to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that one receives. It is in self-forgetting that one finds. It is in pardoning that one pardons. And it is in dying that one is raised to eternal life. Amen.